welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 87 of the Proper Mental Podcast and this week I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Ben West who is a mental health activist, campaigner, a speaker and an author. Ben was only 17 when he lost his younger brother to suicide and it was that event that has driven him to become one of the most active campaigners in the UK. He raised thousands of pounds for his Walk to Talk project and he regularly speaks at schools and events to raise awareness about mental health. And most recently Ben has been calling for change in the way that the education system deals with the mental health of students and he's working towards making mental health first aid training a compulsory part of teacher training. He's got a petition and it's up to 300,000 signatures. He's been working with the government to make this happen. Earlier this year Ben published his first book. It's called This Book Could Save Your Life and it details his journey, everything that he's been through and everything he's learned along the way and it's really good and I'd highly recommend you uh, you checking it out. I actually got the audiobook. I don't really do audiobooks. I tend to kind of like drift off or fall asleep if I've got an audiobook on. It's only like the third one I've listened to. But my chat with Ben came about a little bit last minute, so I didn't have time to uh, to read the book. So I had to listen to the audiobook, which he reads, and it's lovely. It's a really good book. Um, it's emotional, it's informative, there's loads of actionable ideas and advice in there, and I would highly recommend it. You know, it's called This Book Could Save Your Life, and I think it does live up to that title. We talk about his book, we talk about his story, we talk about grief, we talk about the stigma around suicide. We talk about all his campaigning and his activism and we talk about the burnout that he's experienced sometimes that comes from being so active in the mental health conversation. We talk about his petition and his work to change the educational system. That's a really, really interesting. And one thing I really love about Ben is that Ben wants to change things within the system. So he wants to take these systems that don't necessarily serve us very well at the moment for all different sorts of reasons, and he wants to make changes. But what Ben does is come up with ideas around the changes, because I think it's so easy to just, we can talk about waiting lists, we can talk about the lack of funding, we can talk about there not being enough help for people in the system. Talking about it isn't going to change anything, right? We all know that we're kind of at a stage where we can't rely on the powers that be to make the necessary changes. So people have got to take it to them. And that's exactly what what Ben does. You know, he comes up with plans. He comes up with ideas, actionable ideas that could make a big difference. And he takes them to the people that can actually action them. And it was just wonderful to chat to him all about this stuff. You can follow him on social media at I am Ben West. He's very active on his socials. I'd highly recommend giving him a follow. His book, This Book Could Save Your Life, is out now. And there's a link in the episode notes to his website. If you'd like to catch up with me at Proper Mental Podcast in all the usual places, if you want to get hold of me, best place is to find me an email through the website. And if you could take two minutes to leave a review, it would be very much appreciated. I've got some wonderful episodes coming out that I've already recorded. They're coming out over the next few weeks. And if you hit subscribe, you won't miss them. And if you listen to this one, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Screenshot it, tag me, tag Ben, give it a share. It's all very much appreciated. Anyway, here we go. This is episode 87 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Ben West. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. So here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest today is Mr. Ben West. How are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, mate, it's, uh, it's my pleasure. You've been on my to-get-hold-of list for quite some time, mate. So I'm, uh, I'm made up that we could, we could make this happen. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, I suppose the best place to start, mate, is probably where it all starts for you. But your route into being an activist and to being a mental health campaigner, how did all this start for you, Ben? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I often start this story by saying um, uh, I didn't know what what mental health was back in the day when I was. So, my story sort of starts in 2017 when I was 17 years old. 
Um, and cast your mind back to then. It seems like a very long time ago. Um, I had no idea what mental health was. No one had ever explained it to me. I didn't know what depression was. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know what mental health was. Um, and so you can imagine when my brother was diagnosed with depression in September 2017, um, and my mum told me about it, I was just like, what does that mean? I've got no idea what that means. So I'm not going to pay attention to what that means because depression, what is that? Clinical depression, rather. It's like, what on earth is that? Um, in my mind, I was like, how can you be diagnosed with being sad? Didn't understand it at all. Um, January 2018 came along and so what's that three months after he was diagnosed and very unexpectedly um he took his own life uh he was only 15 years old Sam and um and took his own life at home where I am now and it's uh it was obviously obviously an incredibly difficult experience for me um not just through the fact that I'd lost my brother but you know the anyone that's been through something similar and the more I talk about this the more you realize so many people have and um, those people will realize and and recognize that it is a horrendous thing as someone that's witness to that situation um the trauma that goes with it is yeah it's <laughs> it's it's not a bundle of of loves um it's pretty awful um but then sort of off the back of all of that I I sort of started to realize how bad all of this was um, I started to realize, you know, how how could I have not asked him about it? How could I have not thought anything of it? Why did I not think this was something as serious as it was? And then, you know, so many people from my school, my local community started getting in touch with me. They were like, Ben, so sorry to hear what's going on. Um, or they were going, Ben, this is going on for me. I felt suicidal. I've got depression. I've got anger. And honestly, it was absolutely just, it's difficult to even tell you how overwhelming it was seeing how many people were in exactly the same position and I just remember thinking well I've got to do something then um get people talking get some change here and but it's been four years and I think it's safe to say I'm in too deep to get out now <laughs> yeah. um but we've been yeah just trying to do my best to to stop that from happening to another person oh mate committed to the cause right committed to the yeah to the cause yeah it's um it's, it was really interesting to me. I've been listening to your book this week, Ben, and it was really interesting when you say that, you know, you didn't know what mental health was. And I was very the same myself. I was poorly myself and I didn't know what I was experiencing. And I've only ever thought about not knowing what mental health was from the perspective of the person experiencing it, right? Because it was a thing I thought I was going mad. I didn't know what was happening to yeah. me. I, I, similar to yourself, I was like, depression, I can't have depression. That's just how lazy people get off work, right? And the, reading your book, and I was, it really got me thinking, Ben, about, yeah, not understanding this stuff when we're looking to support others and look after others. And it's a, a big, a really missing part of the conversation, I think. It's so difficult. And <clears throat> look, I've never, I've never had a mental illness and I say that, I don't, you know, mental illness in the sort of normal illness categories. I think everyone struggles with their mental health, but I haven't had a mental illness. So, but I can definitely understand from, from a person's perspective how difficult it is to understand what's going on with you. Because they're like, if I was to have a heart attack or if a friend of mine was to have a heart attack, you know, with my very, admittedly very basic knowledge of biology, I would understand how, what causes a heart attack. I understand muscles quite well. Most people do. They need oxygen. The heart doesn't get enough oxygen. It's not going to work anymore. It's so easy to understand. Okay. But then with mental health and mental illness, it's so, so complex. And even the reason that scientists tell us for this and people tell us, which is all about like serotonin and neuroepinephrine and, and all these neurons, which is insanely complicated. Even that explanation is disputed because we don't really truly understand what causes some people's depression. So it's like, how can anyone truly be okay talking about this and, and truly understand what's going on with themselves or with other people when actually we don't really understand the brain? I think the brain is just the most confusing, complex thing. It's what makes us a person. People tell us there's a soul. People tell us there's not a soul. Where's our personality? How can my memory be in colour? Like, what's this about? So it's so, so complex. And with, com with anything complicated comes a level of stigma because as soon as you don't understand something you don't know what's causing it like there's very little stigma with heart attacks or you know broken limbs or you know various other understandable and relatable illnesses 
I say relatable, relatable in terms of being able to understand rather than, oh yeah, I had a heart attack. Um, but they're relatable and they're understandable. Mental illnesses are just not like that. We really, really don't know. Um, and and that's, I think, where we need to create change now is, is trying to do our very best to build on the awareness we're creating and actually try and build that understanding. So not just be like mental health's a thing, actually build on that and that's what I tried to do in the book is sort of try to explain this is what some of the stuff's going on in your brain this is norepinephrine this is a neurotransmitter this is serotonin if you have less serotonin you're not going to feel this happy if your hippocampus becomes smaller you you know that's a physical sign of of depression so it's a very understandable thing when you put it in into into perspective like that and I think that's what we need to try and do now is get that education teach people this is a very it's, it's a very physical thing, mental, mental illnesses. It's very physical um, uh, in terms of the brain science and the, and the physical, like, you know, impact it has on the brain. Try and teach that, um, which I try and skim the surface of in the book, but it's something I definitely think should be a more of a focus going forward in terms of schools, in terms of what I do as well. Yeah, yeah, very much so. I think the way you put it in your book, it really just, um, the way that you phrased this really jumped out to me. It's kind of having the the pretty conversations versus the ugly conversations, right? Yeah. And uh, I suppose jumping deeper into this stuff to get people to understand, to put to put that information out there. Was that kind of what you made by that, meant by that, that phrase, Ben? Yeah, 100%. I think I get quite annoyed. And like the further I get into this conversation and the further I get into this subject and the further I get into this, the mental health space, the more I start to get quite, quite annoyed by what the, what this, I say the status quo, it seems a bit weird saying the status quo, but the status quo around mental, the mental health conversation at the moment is talk away mental health, mental health first aid is at work. It's very sort of easy to understand pretty things, you know, and let's face it, anything that is, Anything that's a pretty conversation is usually what brands adopt as their marketing strategy, as their billboards, right? So, you know, if, if a brand is putting talk about your mental health on a poster, then that's kind of, it's a good thing, don't get me wrong. It's a good thing to talk about mental health and it's a good thing to start promoting. But the way I look at it, that's a very pretty way of, of summing, summarizing this whole complex deeply complex topic and actually if we really want to make change here we're going to have to talk about the stuff that doesn't look good on billboards that doesn't look good on social media advertisements um stuff that actually is is the real truth of what's going on and obviously that's what we go into in the book is you know the, the waiting times with the nhs is the fact that so many systems that we have in place in this country are failing people are falling through the gaps um so many things that go pretty much unnoticed are happening um all because most people don't really talk about them because it doesn't look good um and that's really what I wanted to come from is and that's why I created the book and that's what I wanted this book to become is sort of a very honest very unfiltered totally um you know unfiltered look at this whole mental health situation from from my perspective of of being in this for four years of everything I've seen the ugly the pretty and everything in between and but yeah that's that is exactly what I mean because I think it's it's becoming a little bit airbrushed this conversation to be trendy when it's not trendy we're talking about an illness here <laughs> yeah yeah completely it's it's um, <clears throat> excuse me it's about, I suppose it, may, it just makes it so easy for people. We don't want to make it easy for people, right? If you're trying to make change in a, in a deeper level, on a societal level, you can't, you can't make it too easy. So it's very easy for people to throw that billboard up or just put out a post mm -hmm. on social media and pat themselves on the back and say, oh, I've done my bit and just, just wander off. But if we're not going to talk about these things, if we're not going to talk about the, the harder bits, you know, and sometimes you just got to sit in that, in that discomfort and talk about the, the harder stuff. Because yeah. I think a lot of people don't even know that it's um, that it's going on, right? Also, it's incredibly easy to tell someone to talk. It is, <laughs> I mean, let's face it, that's the easiest thing you can do is go, hey, everyone needs to talk more about their mental health. And then just have that awkward silence when no one does. Because the hard thing to do, and this is what I mean by the ugly conversation, is the, the hard, ugly, just not very nice things to look at is when a CEO of a company, instead of doing a marketing thing internally or a marketing thing externally go, going, everyone needs to talk more about the mental health. The ugly conversation that we need to be having is actually the flip side of that, where the CEO of the company goes, hey, everyone, I have depression, blah, blah, blah. This is what I've struggled with. 
that that is is a more meaningful way of creating change and this obviously it doesn't you know it doesn't just focus on companies either right this is with everyone this is people on social media this is your friends this is your family it's very very easy to tell someone to talk about their mental health but what really creates change is not telling people to talk about their mental health it's actually giving someone the time to talk to you um giving someone that space where they feel comfortable and and if we saturate this narrative with everyone needs to talk what we find is no one talks because the conversation has stopped people from offering to listen. And I think the narrative should really be everyone needs to listen. Um, and I think we should be teaching people the key active listening skills to be able to, to give people the courage um, to do that. Because, you know, for me, I think that's the, that's the solution here is not telling people to talk because if people feel safe talking, then they will talk anyway without being told to. Um, so I think that the messaging should be, everyone should listen how do you listen and that's what I try to teach in the book um how can you listen how can you reach out to someone why should you reach out to someone um because that's what we should do as friends family members colleagues whoever you are listening being vulnerable making yourself a safe person to talk to that is absolutely key because no one talks if there's no ear to listen you don't just sit talking to a face you have to talk to ears um so yeah yeah, that's it, man. Someone's got to go first, right? And if someone goes first, then it just kind of it sets the tone and it says, right, okay, this is a safe space. I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to speak my truth. And if anyone else wants to, then that, that's cool. And I'm, and I'm here for it, you know, and that you can all show up for it, show up for it that way. But listening is a learned skill. And I always think that as humans, we always want to fix stuff, right? And I think people are scared to listen because I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. But really, you don't always have to do anything, right? You don't always have to say anything. It's the the actual just being there and listening. That's the important part. I'm the worst for this as well. I, this is, <laughs> I am the worst because obviously, you know, especially given what I do, a lot of my friends, when they've got stuff going on, come to me, which I love. And that's so, so lovely. But I am the absolute first person to be like, oh, you go and do this. Talk to this person. Go and do this. Go and do this. And I have to stop myself because this is something I think a lot of people get put off having these conversations because, because of. So like exactly like you said, everyone sort of thinks you're the one that has to fix everything. And, and I want to be the one that fixed everything. And that puts this pressure on you. Because if you don't understand how to fix something, you don't want to have that conversation. Um, so many people, if someone came up to you and said, oh, I've got body dysmorphia, what do I do? So many people are like, I don't know. Um, but actually, it's not your responsibility. It's not your role in that conversation to come up with the solutions. Because the person in that conversation that understands that illness or that predicament and that situation, the person in that situation that's going to be able to work out a solution it's not you, it's the person that's telling you about it. So the, the best possible way for you to have a conversation about someone's mental health and someone's problems that are going on in their life is not you being like, this is what you should do, this is what you should do, this is what you should do, is actually try and lead them on a path where they can put together the solutions for themselves because they know their situation and their mindset and their, you know, their, their whatever they're going through better than anyone. And so if you can lead them on a, on a, on a sort of, on a path a journey through this conversation where they are coming out of that messy worried face uh, you know mindset where they, they might be in when they come to you and, and ask for help and take them cool them down a little bit make them you know understand take them out of that situation reassure them a little bit um offer yourself that moment to listen to them um build a rapport with them um sort of try and let them talk about what's going on, take that off their chest, and then sort of ask those questions of sort of, you know, what do you think is the solution here? Instead of being like, hey, you should go and talk to this person, try and get them to come up with these solutions. So what do you think should happen next? Or where do you want, what do you think the, res the solution to this might be? Or, you know, that, or, or something to that effect, try and get them to explore it. And that's very, very easy, you know, this whole talking about mental health thing, if you're the one listening, you have you have quite a quite an easy job. You don't have to actually answer any questions. You're not thinking about when you need to talk next. It's about just trying to steer them into deeper deeper analysis of their situation, and that makes it sound super complicated, but it's not. <laughs> um, and look, if you if if none of that made sense, and I've just been rambling for five minutes, just the most important thing to do is listen, um, actively listen. And what that means, and this is something I learned recently, actively listening is listening not to find the moment you're going to talk next, 
but actually understanding what they're saying. And that really stuck with me because so often when you talk to someone, you're just waiting for your moment to talk um, and you're actually not listening for what they're saying. You're listening for an ending to their sentence so you can immediately jump in. I'm the worst for this. Like I'm the worst for finishing people's sentences and, you know, but actively listening, just listen exactly word for word what they're saying and really try to digest it. Um, and it's, you know, that's what we need to be encouraging people to do because no one talks if no one's actually listening and no one will talk again if their experience of actively, if their experience of asking for help was just Ben filling in their sentences <laughs> and giving them advice. Um, but it's, you know, it's baby steps and no one should, no one should feel pressure to know this. Like we're not taught this, which is obviously what I want to do with my campaigning. You know, no one should feel pressured to be in this situation. Give yourself a break. You know, you haven't been taught how to do this. It is scary because you don't know what to do. Um, but there's a lot of resources out there. Um, and there's a lot of education that you can that you can put yourself through to help understand how to listen. And that is so, so key. How to listen. Very much so, mate. Is that why your um, campaigning started to move in towards the schools and the educational system? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. I think well, how do you how do you how do you educate an entire society? You know, you, you're not going to nursing homes to do it. You have to go to, to schools, preschools, nurseries all the way through, all the key stages. Um, and, you know, we're making progress there. We are. The government announced a new statutory requirement for um, relationships, sex education and health education um, last September. Um, so that's now in place. So everyone, um, everyone that's going through school right now will receive education in mental health. Amazing. Brilliant. That's progress. Um, I think, you know, having looked at the statutory requirements for that, I think it's very early days. And I think actually it can be built on quite a lot. But this is what this is what needs to happen is that education, because one of the one of the campaigns I'm following quite closely at the moment, um, there was some there was a study done by EY um, and they looked at uh, the the reasons behind potentially implementing mental health into uh, into the science curriculum. So just as you're learning about kidneys and dialysis, you're learning about what is mental health? What is sertraline? What is serotonin? All this stuff. And that could be really, really beneficial to people to actually picture what might be going on in the head, like we said at the start. So I think that really is my focus. Um, and not only is it a focus because once you educate young people, they carry that education through their lives, but also you know, it is, it, especially considering my story, I find it exceptionally sad when you hear about young people dying from this. I find it exceptionally sad because let's face it, a 15-year-old, a 17 year old should be out playing with their mates, um, go and having a good time. And to think that there are people that 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 age that are not just unhappy, but unhappy to such an extent where they they don't want to be alive anymore. That makes me so, so, so upset um, by that. So, you know, and any, anything we can do to try and help young people, you know, be able to cope better, to be able to deal with this, to be able to get the support they need. You know, that has to be a priority because, you know, young people should not be should not be dying by suicide in a just world that that should just not be happening. So let's target it at young people because they learn better. They are they are in desperate need of this help. Um, but also we train young people, we teach young people correctly. And we've soon within a few generations, we've got an entire society that's had that education. And that is a powerful thing. Hey, that what a way to look at it within a couple of generations like the game has changed you yeah. know like that's um doesn't that's take fantastic. long no not at all i always think with uh, the conversation around young people's mental health as well is that it, it's almost like that fear again that if we're talking about these things then we're going to be i don't know planting seeds or you know people are going to be self-diagnosing or yeah. you know like all this stuff and like the the young i mean i've got one kid in um primary school and my other child is going to start in primary school in september you know and i just think like the amount of hours they're doing already and it's mm. like we'll heap the maths on we'll heap the science on but oh no they're not ready to talk about mental yeah. health but when yeah. they've got to do their exams when they're 11 you know that's yeah. when they need to be understanding this stuff you know we kind of write them off but um like little children are so much more uh, just open and intelligent than we give them uh, you know give them the the space for you know Oh, yeah. And I think it, it's such a cop out, isn't it? That we say, oh, they're too young for this lesson. Like, no, they're too long. They're too young for the lesson that you have planned for the older generation. But like, just adapt that to a younger audience. You know, CBBC didn't go, huh, they're too young for TV. They went, let's adapt these programs to be OK for young people. Right. Let's change the theme. Let's change the dialogue to be relatable to young people. So it, I think that's a very cop out argument. And also on your point about 
some people spread this this idea that the more we talk about it the higher the rate go the higher rate of mental illness goes up and and sort of on the face of it you can see where they're coming from because as the years have gone on we've got better mental health awareness going on and the rates of anxiety and depression in particular have skyrocketed but i always like to think back in the day when no one knew about cancer when no one knew how to check their balls and you know their body for for lumps i'm pretty sure the number of cancers that were found early were pretty low okay when we started campaigning for cancer awareness and try, trying to locate bumps and the idea that early intervention and early treatment and you know what are the signs and symptoms of cancer when we started you know bringing awareness to that the rates of cancer went up because more people found them and I love this argument by people of like, oh, more people are dying of suicide now because we're talking about it more. More people are getting mental illnesses because we're talking about it more. No, people are understanding that's what they have more. Um, just like if you, you know, you can recognize if more people recognize the fact they have cancer, we're going to see more cancer because more people recognize that fact they have cancer. It's exactly the same argument. And, and that should not be a reason to stop talking about it, to stop increasing awareness about it. If anything, it should be a, it should be a reason to increase awareness about it um, and to increase the, the amount of the amount of uh, education around it. Um, but I do I do always love when and I can't wait to go on a TV show or something when someone brings up that argument because I get it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no one chooses. No one goes and and hears about depression and goes, oh, that is for me. That is for me. I'm gonna have that. <laughs> That's not how it works. <laughs> oh, that's it. And you know what? As long as people are talking about it as well, it doesn't really matter, right? It doesn't matter whether people are overusing the word or it doesn't because yeah. it's better than it's, it's better than it being in the dark and being this thing that everyone's everyone's scared of. Yeah, exactly. very much so. Yeah. What, one thing I really love about um, what you do, mate, is that you kind of um, you target the people that can actually change stuff. Right. Um, and you come with solutions like as you've just explained them, because I think we all know the problems with the system. You know, it would be so easy for me and you to sit here now and moan about waiting times and moan about this and moan about that. It doesn't help anyone. It doesn't change anything. If anything, the people listening are probably it's going to be a real horrible listen because we're just telling them how, how bad it is. Yeah. But you seem to kind of like you go to these people that can make the difference and say, what about this? what yeah. about that and was that was that kind of like a conscious thing that you wanted to to do it that way Ben yeah I think so I I mean I think it's also part of my personality I like I said at the beginning I'm a fixer I like coming up with solutions and and although this isn't directly to a person that's struggling I don't I don't you know I, I do complain like I, I see where there's a problem like and I, I'm the first person to be like oh waiting times right first person but then on reflection I'm like okay that's not helpful so what can we actually do to try and change it and trust me when i say that is far easier said than done i mean like people will sometimes ask me oh so what do you do for a job and i'm like actually if i really tell you what i did for a job most of my work is just going through going through like research papers and going through like the reams of government documents about statute requirements it is incredibly boring because so much of this so much of what goes on so much of the framework of this society is so difficult to understand so coming up with solutions is really hard um like even even the teacher training stuff i don't fully understand how it gets integrated or how that would be integrated but from my perspective i sort of get, it can sometimes swallow swallow you up this idea of oh, i don't understand this at all but i always i always go back to the idea that I'm one person. I have one real focus in life, which is to, to make this, you know, to improve mental health support, improve mental health conversation in the country. There are people that are elected to do this work for us. Okay. When MPs, they have huge teams behind them that are do research, that go through this, that do law. You know, for, for me, it's not my position to try and understand fully how it gets integrated and what needs to change. But I'm going to be on the lookout, talk to people, understand the problem, understand what people are facing and try and present what should happen in an ideal world to these people. And they can then go away and go, brilliant, let's have a think. Let's get our team behind this and go. But that's not my job. They've been elected to do that. So so that's that's really what I try and do. And that's what happened with the teacher training. Um, and that's still very much ongoing. I've got a meeting with um, the shadow uh, mental health minister uh, in a couple of weeks time to sort of talk more about that and get that back on the agenda um but it's all about you know trying to come up with solutions and you're so right if you sat there which i sometimes do um, and i'm conscious of that if you sat there and said 
oh, this is so bad, this is so bad, this is so bad, this is so bad. At the end of the day, people are going to start getting quite demoralised by that and, and sort of lose hope. Because if everyone thinks everything's bad, then it becomes a very dangerous situation. And I do try and I do try and highlight the fact that there's really, really, really good initiatives happening right now. There's a lot of people like me and like you with the podcast that are doing our absolute best to try and, and open this conversation and create change. Like there's a lot of people and even in government, like MPs at the moment and politicians are getting a really bad rap at the moment, understandably so. But the, I've met some really amazing people in Parliament on all sides of the on all sides of the um, the, you know, whatever it's called, the middle. Um, they have some really dedicated people and we are creating change. And and whilst there are some people out there that care we're always going to be moving in a positive direction, I think. Um, and, I, you know, I think this is very solvable. I, I, I wouldn't be wasting my time if I didn't think there are solutions out there for this. Um, and that makes me, that fills me with hope. And there definitely is. But you're right. It's, there's one thing highlighting an issue and there's a very, very different thing being like, what am I going to do about it? Um, also, I, I'm not sure how I'd sleep at night just constantly going, oh, that's so bad. Oh, that's so bad, which is what I do. But then I also think, OK, right, let's do this instead. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose, you know, you mentioned the the hopeful element of just, yeah, knowing that this um, the crisis or the emergency, as you call it, that, I think that's the thing, isn't it, with the with the mental health emergency is that there are um, solutions. It's almost like it's caught us out a little bit. Right. So like it's just it's just grown massively. And it was this thing over in the corner that everyone's like, well, we need to sort of get to that in a minute but let's just sort this economy out or whatever yeah and all of a sudden it's just swamped and now it's like all oh, right well what we've got is not suitable for what's coming in but um you know it's there is this solvable there's action out there right there's yeah. things that we can do about it yeah yeah 100 and also i think a big question we need to ask is why you know why 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 is there such a high level of mental illness because you know there's not very much research done into this you know, the research budget for for mental health has, has been you know, and on a number of occasions been described as chronically low and, and underfunded, um, which is sort of a key buzzword. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, if we don't understand why, we're never going to truly fix it. And I think there's a lot to be said for research in terms of, now I, I've been reading a great book at the moment that a lot of people have seen me raving about on my Instagram. It's called um, Born to Run. It's all about like ultramarathon runners. And, and there's this tribe called the Taramara in Mexico that, have they're humans but they live in this this totally isolated world or not almost totally isolated world where they have their currency is doing favors for each other and they just run ultramarathons for fun with each other and it's such an interesting way and like they're such a happy people they're such a happy genuinely happy people and it's this is what this is why i think it would be really interesting to get some get bigger volume of research done into this is because you know naturally human beings are not designed to to do a lot of the stuff that we do we're not designed to be on high alert all day every day we're not designed to live in con concrete jungles we're not designed to do any of this stuff and so many people spend a whole day without going outside um and it's like how can we really how can we really be happy if we're not given that connection to our ancestors right it's like a great question i i, I sort of thought of the other day is if a bird could no longer fly would it be happy it, it didn't if it didn't need to fly would it be happy because what is flight to a bird is it a necessity or is it actually freedom um and is it something more than that and i think with what we've created in society at the moment and this is getting very deep i understand that but it's like what we've created in society at the moment is like have we clipped our wings as a as a species and and what is freedom to us and what is happiness to us um because we've sort of created this financial or, or goal orientated happiness and i think actually that sort of had the opposite effect because you, you look at communities around the world that don't have money and don't have me measures of wealth or any of this and they're happy uh, they're happy by default um so i find that really really interesting and the idea that can a bird be happy without flight it's it just really interests me because i think there's so much more to this than just simply exam stress and all these things that we that we that we look at there's a real almost like a, a, a instinctual thing that we're missing i think right. but that is incredibly deep and that's just me going off from like Mate, this well, is like I midnight can... thoughts <laughs> yeah. i, I can go I, down that's there. sort of what's been in my mind for, for recently yeah i mean it makes so much sense to me man i can go down these rabbit holes all day yeah. I, I work in the um 
in the the rehab space, you know, and mm. I'd say like ninety percent of the problems that I work with have come from bodies that are supposed to live in a in a wilderness in a prehistoric environment that now live in a like you say a concrete jungle, and we just yeah. don't don't fit anymore. And um, yeah, and that goes for the the mental side as well. And my favorite way of saying it is that your brain is only designed to move as fast as you can run, and yet you'll pop it in a tin box ping it down a motorway at 70 miles an hour <laughs> yeah. and wonder why we're all stressed. Yeah. Like, we're, we're just not even designed to do it. And yet it's so true. just to get to work, just to get to that office door, to have another whole day of indoor stress. That's, that's mm. what we do. And um, yeah, I think, uh, again, that's the important thing, isn't it? Of bringing this stuff in with, um, with young people, bringing it in schools, because we can say, well, you know, do you know what going out is important and we can yeah. tell people why it's important and community and connection and all these other things that are important. We just need to get that into the, into the mainstream, um, conversation, I suppose. 100%. And, and also with, you know, on this is like a lot of the time, I, th I think it's, we're very much capable of doing this. You know, we're very much capable of living this lifestyle. We are. But a lot of the time you talk to people in these high pressure environments and you talk to people in everyday life and you go, so how do you, you know, what, what strategies of self-care do you do? And they'll go, oh, when I'm, when I'm having a bad day, I do this. And you're like, well, there's the problem. <laughs> when, if, you, if you're doing stuff when you're having a bad day or when you need to be doing self-care, then you're doing it wrong. You don't brush your teeth just when you get toothache, right? You, you do it every day um, or twice every day. And this is the same thing with, with self-care, but people don't know that. And a lot of people don't really know what self-care is. A lot of people don't know, you know how important getting into nature is and how, go, how important going for a run is and exercising is and, and getting you know, involved with friends. A lot of people know that they like it and, they, and so that's why they do it when they're having a bad day or feeling stressed. But the importance is not just doing it when you're feeling bad, but when you're doing, you do it when you're feeling happy as well. So when you've got a hand on life, that's just as important to practice self-care as it is when you you're losing that grip. Um, and, and it's about creating, creating habits. If you by default know that every day you practice self-care, you're not going to have to think when, when your life's suddenly a mess, because inevitably everyone goes through awful things in their life, then you're not going to have to think about what to do. It's just going to come naturally to you. Oh, I love running. That makes me feel good. Let's go and do that. Oh, I love meditating. Let's go and have a, let's go and have a half an hour. You know, it, it becomes natural. So I think everyone, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of whether you're happy or sad or depressed, whatever your situation, go and learn self-care, go and find something that works for you, go and find something that takes you away from society, takes you away from the stresses of your life that really just centers your your thoughts into inside you right that sounds really weird it centers your centers your thoughts internally takes you takes your focus away from the external stresses of the world whether that's running whether that's walking whether that's meditation whether that's yoga any find that one thing and practice it every day get in work it into your routine when you're happy when you're sad when you're stressed when you're whenever okay that is something everyone should do and I'm still working very hard to do that for myself. And I, I, at the moment, it's one of my priorities now that I've got a little bit less of, uh, work on. Everyone should do that. Everyone should do that. But this is what we should be teaching in school, right? This is exactly what we should be teaching in school. Yeah. Did you have to learn that um, the hard way, Ben? Because I know you've experienced burnout yourself when the sort of campaigning and uni and life and everything was all, all going on. Is this sort of how you started to learn about that, this stuff? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I wish someone like tapped me on the shoulder and was like, you should try this. I wish I wish I listened. I love some wish someone sent me this podcast and was like, have a little listen. Um, no, I worked it all this out the hard way. Unfortunately, I think for me, you know, I, I do look back and I'm kind of I'm very glad I reacted in the way that I did in terms of the campaigning. But also, you know, until recently, when I was asked in interviews, oh, how did you cope? I would have been like, oh, I did this and this and this. And actually, when I look back, I'm not sure I did cope very well. Um, I, I'm not sure I did do things that, that were self-care orientated. I'm not, I'm not sure I did cope. Um, I was sort of, my coping mechanism was distracting myself entirely from what was happening. Um, but yeah, I, I, learned, I learned most of it for myself in terms of just trial and error of, of what what happened i mean the thing is our brains do know what to do you know that they, they, they've been around for a very 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 long time they are really good at dealing with things like this so a lot of the time what feels unnatural is actually very natural like trauma is an i find trauma so interesting the fact that your brain you know in, increases the levels of certain chemicals so you forget things so you lose your memory so you're not you know, always thinking about this, this event that's happened. I find that absolutely incredible. And the trauma response, you know, the fact that I went 
and immediately my safe place the day after Sam died was to go for a walk and sit in the woods with my dog under the trees like that was that was where I felt safe and I, I said it in the book, like I felt it was an incredible moment because my whole life had shattered. Everything was in absolute pieces. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know what was going on. Didn't know how to do anything. And I sat in these woods and I felt complete peaceful peacefulness. It was the most bizarre feeling. But my brain took me there. You know, I didn't consciously go, but I'm going to do that because that's going to make me feel better. Um, so I think, you know, there was a lot. I, I've sort of been very lucky in the, in the fact that I've been able to find those things at work. But you know, it's only until recently that I've realised how important it is to not just do it on the bad days and to do it all the time. Um, and that's what I'm trying to work on. While at the moment I am having some good times, I'm, I'm you know, I'm feeling really good. I'm, I'm energised and positive. But this is why in the past I would have been like, oh, let's go and burn myself out doing work because I'm feeling really good. But now it's like, OK, let's set boundaries even when I'm feeling productive, um, which is arguably more important than the other way around. Yeah, very much so. One of the best pieces um, of advice I've had since I've been doing this podcast is from Tasha Danvers, who was an Olympic um, athlete uh, back in the day. And she said, you have to prepare for your for the days when your brain is bad on the days when your brain is good. And I just love that, you know, just put everything in, everything in place. So it's all around you. And then when you need it, it's just there. You don't have to think, you don't have to reach out. You don't have to, it's not within your grasp. You've just put your safety net there. And if it never needs to catch you, then it's there. And that's something that's always, 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 um, always stayed with me. It's very similar to, to what you said then, mate. Yeah. I, um, I wanted to talk about, um, about suicide with you, Ben, because I think in the mental health conversation, it's almost the last taboo, right? And we've talked about people being scared to talk. Well, you know, people, they struggle to say the word suicide is a, is mm. a scary word. And what was, um, how did you find people reacted around you after your, your brother's death? Did you find people kind of tiptoeing around you? What was that experience like for you? Yes, 100%. I agree with you. Suicide is a very scary word because people don't want to, you know, there's so many historic connections with suicide that it's just so stigmatized and to a whole new level. I remember when we told, when we told the school that Sam had died, we, I think my mum, my mum told them how he died. And I think that was communicated to people. But I remember one story someone got it i can't remember where someone got in touch or i heard it on the grapevine but someone's parents had told them that the school got it wrong and it wasn't suicide and they tried to hide the fact that it was suicide and it's that still i still strikes me strikes me that today because they knew that was a lie what they were saying and the reason they said that really is interesting to me i think so many people are almost ashamed of knowing someone that's taken their own life and that is really, really bizarre. Like I've said so many times in the past, I've been lucky enough, and I will say lucky enough um, because they're incredible people. I've been lucky enough to meet some amazing people that have been suicidal, um, that have attempted to take their own life. I've spoken to people while they've been in hospital after being, you know, some, you know, some very, very sad stories. Um, but they are just so strong, so strong. And to, to deal with that level of torment for any length of time, um, is I can't imagine that strength I really can't imagine waking up every day I mean I, I'm sure you can probably relate in parts it's, it's a horrendous thing to have to deal with so the fact that they've died as a result it's like that doesn't make them any less strong you know if you go through that for months and months on it of course you're going to have that feeling and of course you're going to 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 you know want to do that why should we label them as weak when they've gone through something most of us would never be able to do um, I, I've always been of that opinion. And that's why a lot of people, a lot of people probably thought my brother was quite weak for going through that and, and taking his own life. I don't, I have, I've, you know, huge amount of respect for now what I know he went through. He went through an awful thing and didn't get the support he needed, quite frankly. And, you know, had he had the support, who knows what have happened, but no, I'm not going to take away the fact that I think those people that go through mental illness, even those people that don't survive their mental illness, I think they're incredibly strong, incredibly strong. Um, but you're right, suicide is such a taboo. It's such a taboo, and it's the last taboo. It's uh, it's very sad because anything that becomes difficult to talk about immediately becomes stigmatized. And let's face it, suicide is not difficult to talk about. I talk about it every single day, and <laughs> and I find it, you know, I find it easier every time I talk about it. It's just. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it's so tied back to a crime and to something that was condemned by the church. It's so tied back to this idea that you are intrinsically wrong. 
that people don't want to admit to having but I do remember those, those that family that told that, that lied about how he died I was like that's so interesting you've done that so interesting and what does that tell you what does that tell you to, to tell you about what that family dynamic is um and, and the support they've got going forward um so yeah let's talk about it right it happens it happens quite a lot unfortunately yeah man Six let's have that conversation it's a thing and it's not weakness well no. see isn't it not at all. And it's, it's how we take, <clears throat> excuse me, it's how we take the power back from that word for ourselves, right? It's just to use it, man. It's like, a, it's like Voldemort for want of a better, uh, <laughs> a better analogy. But yeah, it's just uh, using that word. And, you know, you can't really talk about suicide without talking uh, um, about the words commit. Like you say that when we say people commit suicide yeah. and it leads back to all those, um, all those, uh, the old fashioned way of, of looking at it. But um, it's hard, isn't it? When words like that are ingrained in our in our society have you heard of um gabriel nathan do you do you know gabe at all um he's a highly worth a follow on uh, social media he's a suicide awareness advocate in america and he drives around in this really old vw beetle and the car gets people's attention and it's got suicide awareness in massive letters on the back and he gets out and he he talks to people about it you know people in the street and everywhere he goes people stop him and they they tell him their story and i was chatting to him and he's a suicide awareness advocate he lives and breathes this stuff all day every day and even he said the words commit sometimes just drops off his tongue like it's so ingrained in us mm. every now and again it just kind of um slips out but it's uh i suppose it just comes down to just making that that little bit of extra effort to to phrase things differently right yeah and look, you can always excuse people there's a lot of language that people use around mental health that's that i think that unhelpful and wrong like a lot of people a lot of the time you hear people say oh he was suffering with mental health and it's like no he wasn't <laughs> i didn't break a leg and someone goes he's suffering with physical health for him you know <laughs> it just that just doesn't make sense and actually you get that a lot in the in the emergency services and in medicine because you know you you're given a mental health case or a mental health patient it's like they're not they're not a mental health patient they are a patient that has a mental illness um but so i, I always find that difficult but yeah, yeah. There's, there's a way in which you can go about correcting people. I, I do it. I still do it now. It's difficult to remember all this stuff. There's a lot of these like nuanced things that, that are linked to the past or linked to a, an unhelpful way of looking at mental health. Commit suicide. It's, um, it's a phrase that's still used every day. Um, really good from the Samaritans with their work with the media that it's very, very rare that you see that published anymore. Um, that's fantastic with their with their mental health sort of guidelines for the media. That's great, but it's still very much in society. It's this this it's this subconscious link back to that phrase of it being connected to a crime or connected to something that's a sin. It's like no, it's not. Come on, give us a break. What was that analogy I used in the book? It's like it's like the police breaking into a cancer hospice and arresting other family, taking taking statements because dying from an illness is is illegal. We're like come on, give us a break. Um, so, but it's the thing is like, you just got to have patience with people. You don't change the world in a day. It takes a long, long time. And this is why I think it's important to start educating the young people now, because no, we're not changing it. This is not a goal of mine to, to, to fix in two years, three years, five years. This is like, this is going to be continuing far beyond when I've died. Um, let's, but we've got to start putting the building blocks in place now to slowly chip away at this 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 problem that we've got in front of us because let's face it the stigma behind mental health the stigma behind suicide the fact that suicide was a crime that was constructed over centuries um so we, we, we let's not kid ourselves and believe that we can get rid of it in a day um but having said that going on the theme of hope from before we are doing some incredible work very very quickly and very efficiently and it's something to be quite excited about because like i said i think this is very solvable um and i think you know bef hopefully before in my lifetime i want to see it as not an emergency anymore hopefully one day i'll write a book being like breaking the silence on the mental health something else not emergency yeah the follow-up could be oh do you remember that the time we solved yeah. the crisis yeah yeah exactly closing the closing the blinds on the mental <laughs> that was a weird one but something like that right like, like i think eventually i hope in my lifetime i think in my lifetime we'll see this as less of a crisis than it is now i really do believe that um and that's how quickly we're making progress here um which is fantastic to see and it's it's one of the very few it's one of the very few societal problems we have that I think is this solvable. Um, the climate crisis is terrifying. 
and that's solvable but it's it's going to take a huge amount of work to do that i think mental health a very a few well chosen well thought out well executed decisions could flip this whole thing on its head um and that's what gives me hope and that's what keeps me going every day and that's what i bring into all the meetings i have with ministers and advisors because i think you know we can make really massive progress here in four years of doing this i've seen i've seen so much change and although you know the rates of this are not going down yet and the rates of suicide are still alarmingly high there are some really, really, really good progress. There is some really good progress being made. And that is enough to fill me with hope. That's enough to keep me, you know, at least clinging on to some sort of sort of hope that this will this will get better. And I do believe that it will. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. It's such a lovely way to look at it. And, you know, every every week I find out about a new amazing yeah. <laughs> person or charity or organization or something. And you think like, God, I never knew this existed. It's been going for ages. And that yeah. gives me hope too, right? That really like, it just buzzes me up that all these things are out there. And it's just about, if we normalize the conversation, then more people are going to know about more of these things, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then also, like, from from my point of view, it's like connecting all these because like, there's so many charities out there that do some amazing work. But the link between the NHS and the third sector, the charity sector, well, it's non-existent. They don't talk. It's like they it's like they were like a relationship that ended like six years ago. They just don't talk at all. It's really weird. Like there must be some history there. But it's so strange because the charity sector do some amazing work. Like there's a charity I know that I do some work with, Lucy Rayner Foundation. Well, I was having a conversation with them the other day and they were like, like we had some a woman come up to you know write a referral because they offer free counselling um to, to people. Um, they had a woman come up and they, they talked to inquire about getting some counselling for her uh, for her child, I think. And um, she was like, "Oh, what's the waiting list like?" And they were like, "We've got. I mean, we don't have a waiting list. <laughs> Here's a counsellor. When do you want to start?" And this is why th- there needs to be a better link between the NHS and charity sector because there's some really cool stuff going on in the charity sector, and the NHS is saturated. But it's like if they work together, imagine what they could do. Imagine what we could do. And I think this is a big thing with the, with mental health as well. It's the whole the whole thing. So like if the more collaboration we have, the better. Because like you said, there are some incredible people out there. There are some really incredible charities doing some really, really incredible work. And let's get everyone talking together. Let's get partnerships with the NHS. Let's get the government talking to us. Let's just connect people, connect the dots. Um, and that's what I'm really excited for. Because I think we're at a position now not sure you can hear my stomach that's bad <laughs> i think we're in a position now where i'm gonna have some lunch um no, i think we're in a position now where you know we do have a lot of incredible stuff happening and if we could connect the dots it's like a dot to dot we just connect the dots we draw the solution and that excites me a huge amount Mate, i didn't uh... catch that could oh. you try again <laughs> oh, it's all getting wrong isn't it <laughs> i'm not gonna repeat that for you siri <laughs> I think that's probably a, a beautiful place for us to to wind this down, mate. Thank you so much for your time today. I'll put all the links and everything. I've been um, listening to your book this week and it's absolutely wonderful. It's um, really cool. I've got about an hour left and um, oh, yeah. I've enjoyed it immensely. And, um, you know, it's called This Book Could Save Your Life. And um, yeah, I can completely see why you why you picked that title, mate. It's wonderful. But um, yeah, Thank thanks for so joining much. me today, mate. And um, yeah, all the best with everything. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope you enjoy the last hour of the book as well. A big up to the proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast.